0: What is in front of me? looks like a little star-shaped
1: thing. Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves as a self-help support resource for people navigating herpes stigma. Um, Today I'm here with Kim. Kim, uh, you reached out to me via Reddit. Is that right?
0: Yes. Oh, Oh, this past weekend, um, I had made it to episode. I think it was fifteen, and uh, I made a a comment on your, on a Reddit post that you made, and we—that was how we met.
1: Okay, and you are you listening in order? Yes. Oh God. I'm OCD. All right. No, no, I understand. But I, I promise the sound production gets better over time. I know it's like stuff moving around. I say like an i um a lot. So God bless you for going through from episode one. Uh, so I guess let's start with um, what made you what brought you to the podcast? How'd you find it? What drew you to it? And we'll go from there.
0: Do you know, I don't know how I found you. What drew me to it was I was recently diagnosed in January. With what? I'm sorry? With what? Oh, I apologize. Uh, HSV-1 and 2. Oh, okay. Uh, I am completely asymptomatic. I have never had an outbreak. Um, I have been celibate for over 10 years. And I... (laughs)
1: Somebody made a comment about that in the chat. Somebody wrote like, whoa, in all caps.
0: Yeah. They were like, what? (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was me. Um, So I went to my doctor's in January to get my permission slip to start dating again. And I never expected anything. I really thought it was going to come up clean because it had been over 10 years before I dated uh, my prior S. I was completely clean, even tested for HSB 12 years ago. And so I had no idea. I was blown away when I got that diagnosis. And honestly, I love my primary care doctor, but she really didn't know a lot about it. And so after that day, I dove in and started doing my research Uh, My background is in healthcare, so I'm a very inquisitive mind. I need to know, I need to understand, and so I've been doing research. And somehow, through that research, I found you.
1: Okay. Uh, My first question is about the celibacy. So throughout your 10 years of celibacy, was there any, I'm sure there there was no intercourse, but was there any sexual intimacy at all with partners? No. Wow. So this wasn't something that you did because of your herpes diagnosis. You were celibate for 10 years, and then you found out you had herpes, right?
0: Yes, that's correct. I was in a relationship um, with a gentleman, the, my gifter, and uh, around year two, he, he had proposed to me, and we were supposed to get married, and on year two, I caught him cheating on me. And it was with men. Yeah. And at that point, I cut every physical contact with him off. I
1: I kind of think it's relevant. Can I say where you're located? Sure. You're you're in Alabama. That's correct. All right. Just just for context, because I think that yeah, you know, that's a really big deal in the South.
0: What, what's the big deal? Just
1: like, like down low men? Because you had no idea that he was in the men, uh-uh. did you?
0: No, uh-uh. Yeah. No, I had no idea whatsoever. And uh, so after that, um, we became life partners, basically. I agreed to stay because I didn't want to start over again. And so we stayed together not as romantic partners, but as what we called life partners. We hung out together, did vacations together, you know, took care of each other essentially, but there was no intimacy whatsoever. And so those 10 years of me not being intimate with anybody, I was, I guess, sort of with somebody, but not really.
1: Were you closed off sense. from dating at all?
0: Well, you know, it's funny you asked that because um, after a certain amount of time, our agreement was he could do whatever he wanted to do with men. I just didn't want to know about it. And several years into it, I had said something to him about wanting to start dating. And his response to me was that,
1: He was not
0: okay with that.
1: Excuse me? Yeah. And. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh at. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just. I'm shocked by that. He can go off and have sex with men. He's not having sex with you. So that makes me question what kind of relationship did y'all have? I guess as life partners, because for him to value that so much more than. his freedom to have sex with men and then place the value of your sexuality above the the life partner status that y'all have? I guess, like, did he feel threatened by the security of having you take care of him or what?
0: I really, I honestly do not know Courtney. I had lost myself at that point. I had no self-confidence anymore. I had no self-esteem. And... He said that, and I said, okay. And it wasn't until getting out of that that I really realized, hey, that wasn't fair. He was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do, but I couldn't.
1: How long did this relationship last?
0: 12 years. Uh,
1: if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now?
0: I am 51.
1: Okay, so looking back, you started this relationship at 39-ish.
0: 39. Um, mm-hmm.
1: n- was there, are there any kids involved?
0: No, I've never had any children. I've never been married.
1: Okay. Now, was this a choice? Like, I guess what what kept you in this relationship is really what I want to know.
0: Well, I caught him cheating when I was 41. So, at that point, I like I said, I had already lost myself. I had no more self-confidence. I was just at the bottom of the barrel and I didn't want to start over. I did not want to I had already sold my home and I just resigned myself to that situation because I didn't want to start over.
1: Mm-hmm and was this life that beat you down or was it this relationship? Like what happened to where you got to a point where there was just like no will to, to speak up for yourself or pursue anything that you wanted?
0: I have suffered with depression since my early twenties and I've had a couple episodes, but for the most part it was under control. But when all of that happened with him I The depression came back, and I was done for. I mean, it had been several years of me being depressed and losing myself, and I just didn't see that I could get out.
1: Mm-hmm. And what does that look like for you? Is it, if you can just give me like an overview of what depression in this situation look like, because we're talking about years. It's not like it was an episode for a season. We're talking years of waking up every day, still having a connection with this person, going to bed every day, having a connection with this person. And then all of a sudden looking up and then the relationship is just over. What, what ended the relationship too is my second question.
0: Well, he, (laughs) Let's see, we're in 23. So in 21, I found out that he was also seeing women now as well. And there was something about that that opened my eyes. And I'm like, wait a minute, he didn't want to be with me. He wanted to be with men, but now he wants to be with women, but not with me. So what, you know, what is what? And I finally just told him, I said, I can't do this anymore. You know, we, I know that I agreed to that relationship. I agreed to that partnership. But there was, I don't know, the fact that he was with women as well, it just made me say, WTF? Yeah.
1: What did the relationship look like between y'all? Did y'all go and do things together and Mm -hmm. family gatherings? Was this all just behind the scenes? Did people assume y'all were having sex with each other or what?
0: Yes. I was basically a front. Everybody thought that we were a couple. We were together. And we did everything together just like a husband and wife do. And we just did not have sex. We made dinner together, we watched TV together, we went out together, sat outside drinking coffee together. Everything.
1: I know you said you were depressed, but were you happy?
0: No, I think I was comfortable.
1: Mm. Can you elaborate more? Like what what because that's a very interesting word choice.
0: Well, you know, it was the status quo that I was comfortable with. You know, I, I did not work. I stayed home, and he went to work. I took care of the house, the animals, the yard, whatever. And um, it was just a routine, a habit that I was in, and it was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Even though I wasn't happy, okay. um, I cried a lot. I gained a lot of weight, and you know, I just did the best I could to survive each day.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this wasn't abusive at all, though, was it? No. This is okay. So this is fascinating to me because I think there are a lot more situations like this than we know of. And when I say like this, I mean where a person is genuinely suffering on the inside, but not aware that they're suffering on the inside until it's too late. And in your case, you just so happened to somehow find out that he was also having sex with women. You were okay with him having sex with men, but you find out that he's having sex with women first. How did you find out?
0: Um, with the men, something just wasn't sitting right with me. You know, that women's intuition and so I started snooping, and fortunately or unfortunately, I found emails, pictures, things,
1: emails. things of that nature. So when you yes. say email, I'm thinking, was he involved with sex workers, strippers, or are we talking about like discrete meetups or people that he might have worked with or is pursuing? It
0: was uh, various people. He used to meet people off of Craigslist.
1: Gotcha. And of
0: course, you know when you would contact people on Craigslist, that's how you it it went to your email. And um, yeah, I and then it's same thing with the women. I just I say, unfortunately, I went snooping because it turned me into a person that I did not like. <sighs> I did not like breaking privacy of somebody. Yeah. But I was always going through his phone, always going through his tablet, and then I started seeing this conversation with an ex-girlfriend of his, and then meeting up and, you know, getting back together, and that was how I found out about the women.
1: Now, have you ever tried having sex with each other?
0: Him and I? Yeah we well the first two years before i caught him um we sort of had a sex life we tried it wasn't successful and i realized after i caught him with the men that that was why we didn't have a successful sexual life he wasn't interested in me i was just a front for him
1: how did y'all meet i'm so curious i got so many questions
0: (laughs) we
1: met online okay all right. so I guess like you fit this you fit into his life as someone to take care of the house he was the provider and you were the homemaker it's just that he had no sexual attraction to you but you served a purpose for him yeah and then on your hand you got to live this particular lifestyle that you wanted and the trade off was not having sex
0: Good and, you know, I did not have, I, I never had a high sex drive, Courtney. Okay. It, that was not an issue for me because I could have cared less. Mm-hmm. I really, I mean, I didn't even masturbate. It was just, I had no desire whatsoever.
1: And is this because of the depression or was this just, ah. Yeah. Uh, I
0: think the depression.
1: Okay. So I'll, getting out of the depression, talk to me about what that looks like. Are you still depressed? Are you on the up and up?
0: I am on the up and up. Um, it has taken me a long time. And uh, I really was afraid when I got my diagnosis in January. I was very scared that was going to throw me way back down again. But thankfully, it hasn't. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, you know, making that decision to leave is really when I started feeling better. Mm
1: hmm. That's good. That so when was, the decision yeah. was made, it was when the decision yeah. was made. Yeah. How long after the decision was pondered did it take for you to make the decision? And then how long after making the decision did you actually leave?
0: Um, when I considered it was when I made the decision to leave. And we immediately started working towards it. Um, I mean, he had to refinance the house to get me off of it and buy me out of it and you know we the land was in both names the vehicles were in both names so we had a lot of work to do and i did not start looking for a house until after i had green cash money in my hand because i was not leaving there with nothing and i got a decent chunk of money out of it and uh i started looking for a home I put in seven offers it was during the craze of the real estate market and a couple were accepted but inspections failed and I walked away from them so it was not until July of 22 that I actually made an offer on a house Um, they accepted and September 28th I closed on the house. So since October 1st of 22 now, I've been alone on my own again. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're smiling. I don't know if that's like one of those sarcastic smiles or if it's like a smile of relief. Like, do you feel good it's, it's about... A good
0: re- it's a okay. good smile. Okay. Yeah, it's a good smile. I mean, I feel... Um, I don't know what happened when I turned 51 in October, but my interest in sex has gone through the roof.
1: (laughs) I mean, and I I can only imagine not feeling desired being something that's also repressing your desire. You know, you were in this relationship for a dozen years and early on trying to have sex like that had to kill your self-esteem.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was nothing about the situation that I was in that was good. I don't know why I didn't see it when I agreed to that situation, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. I just didn't see it. It was the only out, if you call it an out, it was the only out I could see. The only thing I could fathom was just staying where I am and getting through one day at a time.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I I appreciate you sharing so much detail about your period of celibacy. So um, you asked me a question when we talked. So you reached out to me via the website. Let's start with that. Um, What encouraged you to reach out through the website?
0: Just because when we chatted those couple lines uh, on Reddit, uh, you had said, you know, reach out to me if you ever want to chat and... And uh, then today, we both uh, participated in that uh, HHS uh, conference online, and when I heard your name and you were talking, I was like, I need to reach out to him today.
1: Well, I'm glad you did. Thank you. And I didn't even put together that you were the person uh, that I was connected to through Reddit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you made yourself known and said something. Um, that call... I'll share my feelings about it, and then you can share yours. I also went to the one that was two days ago. So for those who don't know, um, there is an addendum for herpes to be essentially lumped in with the reportable STIs for funding to go toward uh, prevention, awareness, uh, treatment, testing, and it looks like I don't know. I think this is going to be a bad thing more than a good thing because now... It's not going to be a gray area about whether or not herpes is an STI or how herpes is you know, seen because like we've always kind of thought it that, but we always had the fallback of, well, it's not a reportable disease. And now that it's reportable or now that it's looking like it's about to be reportable, what does that mean? What does that mean for education? What does that mean for stigma? Are we going to just lump herpes in with chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, HIV, and uh-huh. then like... Now it's going to be official, like, hey, now herpes is an STI and it's worse than ever because now HSV-1 is turning up more genitally. And I, I, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, this might not be a good thing on one hand. But then on the other hand, if they're going to be able to throw money at herpes now, If they do so intelligently and after having taken uh, the people who are living with herpes and the people who are on these calls, if they do anything with our input, um, then we will see some changes at the very least. So. I felt as if um, the feedback, because they weren't taking questions, but they were taking feedback and comments from the people who attended. There were uh, 60 people-ish on the one that was for providers, and then there were 80-something on the one that was for people who are living with herpes. And we all just gave feedback. So some of the feedback that I heard, um, it... I don't, I don't know that the people were receptive to it. The, the organization that put the call on, I didn't feel like they were very receptive. I don't feel like they, like, I would have liked for them to ask more questions from the open discussion to be like, hey, can you elaborate on that? What does that look like? Like I'm sitting here, I'm telling them, hey, people with herpes want to kill themselves. And I have proof and I interview people like I have solutions to a lot of the problems that you're going to face if you're taking this seriously. And it was just. Okay, next we have uh, RJ, JR, you know.
0: Yeah, they just sat there shaking
1: their heads. Yeah, I don't even know if they even took notes. It was was a little bit discouraging on one hand, but mm -hmm. the audience engagement, like when I was speaking and seeing some of the people who uh, I know found this link through me or who follow me, uh, just sort of supporting as well and uh, co-signing what I was sharing, that was nice to see. Because that's really what we need is just for more people to be willing and able to show up in these spaces specifically. So I don't know what they'll be able to do with this money, but I really... I don't see them curing herpes. And I didn't want to be the asshole to say this on there because there's too much money in the treatment for it as it exists. You think about how uh, people get diagnosed and they immediately jump on medication. You think about how people see the stats and they're like, uh, I need to get on this medication to reduce the risk. And there's more money in that long-term than there's gonna be in curing herpes long-term. And I get the neurology of it, the pain effects, and the um, long-term, more life-threatening effects, but they won't, I don't see them caring enough to do anything for reducing that. So the HSV Cure Advocacy advocacy Group, they were present and they were talking all of that. And I was watching the faces of the people on the panel and there was just nothing. Like there was no, there should have been questions. There should have been more elaboration and there was none of that. So Uh I get that this was just trying to collect information, but I really don't feel like they're gonna do anything with Uh, What they shared with what I shared and they're gonna do what they want to do and this is just kind of a Illusion of us having some type of input
0: Yeah, well because it's, it's a government thing, you know, they have to say they have to show look we reached out to These patients that suffer with it. We reached out to patient advocates. We did our due diligence and this is what we're going to do anyway.
1: That's what I so, see. Yeah, I, I yeah. see that. <laughs> I absolutely see yeah, that.
0: You know, I, I really hate for it to be lumped into with all the other SPIs because I don't want it to get buried or hidden underneath them. Um, even though you look at the numbers and there are so many more HSV cases than oh. HIV cases, HIV is still I feel going to take prevalence over Mm HSV, and
1: so I think we're going to get hidden in there I'm not sure that it's going to be what we want it to be I'm not I'm not at all sure that that's going to be the case Um, it just feels like false hope and I don't Mm -hmm. want to be negative Nancy here but that's how I left that meeting and Um, the people who had anything to say at all are people who are in the community. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens if Uh anything happens at all, but they've had this funding since 2021. Why are we just now doing this in 2023? Like why is this now? You know, like yeah. we've got. It's gonna take another grant cycle for them to even implement anything or have a plan for anything. Y'all hearing us out in 2023, so that in 2024 you can say, oh well, here's the plan. And then 2025 rolls mm-hmm. around and it's like, oh, we just don't have the the funds for this anymore. Maybe we're out of money cycle. now. Yeah. Like where <laughs> yeah. was y- where were y'all at when we got when when you were getting the money to do this?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened. Seeing as I was not involved in the community and I was not researching and looking into stuff, I don't know what they've been doing between 21 and now. Um, You know, was it all just a planning thing, getting these committees together, hiring the people to be a part of it? You know, what? It, did it really take two years to do all that? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were justifying the money they're being paid, maybe. You know? I, I would love to, to hope that there would be a cure out there. Um, I know there are some researchers that would hate to hear that, that... Uh, there's too much money to be made in the medicine that a cure will never come out. Because, uh, you don't. I don't want to degrade the work they are doing. But I think it's a false hope.
1: Well, here's my thoughts on it. And uh, the work that I do through Something Positive for Positive People, in a way, and I, I, I hate that I'm about to say this because I just avoid saying it, keeps people here longer for the event, in the event that there is a cure, you know? So keep give people a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, a sense of community, a sense of just understanding this diagnosis in a way that allows for them to not prioritize this above living life in general. Because I, let me would've been waiting on a cure the 10 years that I've been diagnosed. So if I was just like, oh, you know, I won't have sex until there's a cure. I won't have sex until there's a vaccine. I won't try and be in a relationship. I won't disclose my yeah. status. I can't imagine having those 10 years have gone by with nothing having happened different for me. And I try to get people to see that. Um, I'm so happy that now people are finding something positive for positive people soon after their diagnosis so that they can hear these stories because we don't know what it's like to live with herpes or any STI. We're not taught it. We're not pointed in the direction of these resources. When we're diagnosed, we have to stumble across these resources. And so Uh stumbling into a place where you can hear people like process or intelligently just share their experiences offers the people who are newly diagnosed or newly discovering this platform a roadmap for navigating the stigma itself so to me i think that my work like i don't care to advocate for a cure because i'd have been spending 10 years advocating for a cure and the people who couldn't wait any longer. Would have already done whatever they were gonna to do to themselves, or continue to live life in the way that they were. So I'm very right now actively seeing the fruits of my labor through something positive for positive people. In that people are reaching out to me. I had a guy tell me, and this this like it 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 hit me very hard because he said, you know, your podcast is the only. It's my lifeline. Like this is the only thing that uh, is probably keeping me here. And I was just like, damn, dude, like six years. I've been running this podcast for six years. And I question often, like, all right, well, there's only so much you can say about herpes. There's only so much to be talked about. And I think about just moving on to the next thing. And then I get one of those kinds of messages. So it's very much showing me that consistency is paying off and that people are you know, regardless of how long it's taking, able to find this resource and get something out of it that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get?
0: Well, you know, if the wheels have turned so slow for people to get the support that they need, say, uh, um, something positive for positive people, if it took six years, I don't know, maybe we need to give... The government a
1: little more leeway that two years
0: is it's a slow process yeah I, I don't
1: know but i also think that it's our collective lack of involvement because of stigma stigma keeps us from getting involved and not getting involved is keeping us from getting any type of change happening that we would like to see like for instance at the very base level we should be able to get better testing more consistent accurate testing because if the world knew exactly how many people had herpes there it probably just wouldn't be an issue at all or more people yeah. would be like you don't have herpes do you because i know that i don't have herpes or it just wouldn't be a topic of conversation at all like more yeah. people would at the very least be inquiring on uh herpes status from potential yeah. partners. you
0: know i don't know how to go about this but i am determined to do something in this community because I had to educate my primary care about a lot of the stuff having to do with herpes. She didn't know what to do, what to say. She didn't even know about potential false positives. My uh, my numbers on the IgG were 1.21. Well, that's between 1.1 and 3.5 is potentially a false positive range. She didn't know about that. She didn't know what to do about it. I had to seek out the Western Blot, which I paid out of my pocket for. And because I wanted to know, I didn't want just a what if answer. And, um, so I really would love to find something that I can do. I'd even love to say to my doctor, Hey, you get somebody else who's diagnosed, you give me a call and I'll talk to them. You know, because the information isn't out there, and I've had research in probably 20 different places to put together the information that I needed, and that shouldn't happen. You know, when somebody's diagnosed, they should be able to be handed something that has all of the information in it.
1: Yeah, I was trying to get that done, but people don't, I'm just a dude with a podcast, And I think that that downgrades like my credibility or has downgraded my credibility because I've heard from uh, urgent care facilities, for example. Oh, we we don't just take information from anybody like it has to go through whatever approval process. And, you know, partnering with one of these organizations uh, that have this funding, it would make sense for them to be uh, the credible organization that pushes out. At the very least Uh something positive for positive people's podcast as a useful and approved resource to share with people who are newly diagnosed with herpes on an independent level when i like nurses find my work and they're like oh my god i'm going to share this with patients so that helps therapists the same thing but it's it's a matter of me putting myself out there and being at conferences and doing these podcast episodes and going to uh, things that seemingly <laughs> don't make sense uh, yeah. for me to be at, but like I genuinely have to put myself out there and put this out there in order to potentially be heard and have this resource be shared on an individual basis. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping I'm very hopeful that at some point they just reach out to me and at least like ask me like tell me that they're serious about having some sort of program going towards this. Because one of the things that I would love to do is to be able to pay these advocates, the people who are out there and um, educating and putting on these support groups and uh, sharing information. I would love to be able to pay these people to continue doing what they're doing and also offer them uh, the necessary consistent resources to share with these growing audiences that they're developing. Yeah. uh...
0: Well, you know, you say you don't feel like you've been taken seriously. I mean, even Terry Warren, she did an interview uh, a while back. Uh, She's a a nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't even feel like she's always taken seriously. And she's one of the most heavily involved people in the research. And, And she doesn't feel like she gets taken seriously. Yeah. So, you know, what does that say about the community?
1: And I think that it's not necessarily not being taken seriously by the community. It's not being taken seriously by the people who have influence to be able to back us to be taken seriously.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't have said the community without specifying who I was talking about, but yes, exactly.
1: Okay, I thought that's what you were saying. Yeah, I just wanted to elaborate so nobody was confused. Because when people find me, here's the thing, like running the nonprofit, I do... Um, I read this book, um, I think it was from good to great, it, whatever it was, it was about nonprofits. And there's five things nonprofits, the successful ones, all have in common. And I've got four out of five of those things. The fifth one that I need is when people utilize something positive and they get something out of it, they don't mm-hmm. go and brag about the fact that they were supported, that they got help, that this is a useful resource. I don't get that. And there's another issue with stigma. Like, I'm directly... Exactly challenging stigma, helping people challenging stigma themselves, and they're like, yeah, I feel better about stigma. But stigma is also the same thing that keeps them from going out into the world and saying, hey, I feel better about stigma. People who might be struggling with this thing hit up Courtney. Whereas like the American Red Cross, if your house burns down and you get a new house, you're going to be like, oh, my God, thank you so much. The American Red Cross. I went through this, 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 this. People are proud to share about that. But ain't nobody going to be like, yeah, I got herpes and my ex cheated on me. And I talked to Courtney and Courtney made me feel better about myself. I was going to drive my car off of a cliff, but I was listening to his podcast. So I pulled over and just cried. And after that, I sent him an email and he talked to me and he told me, welcome to the club. And I laughed for the first time in months and yeah like that kind of shit
0: yeah yeah they don't they don't share that yeah absolutely
1: but I get it I I get it and I I think that I like this challenge for myself
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know what
1: I'd be doing if I wasn't doing this it'd probably be I'd probably be at work right now (laughs) waiting on five o'clock to roll around so I can leave (laughs) but if I wasn't doing this I don't I honestly don't know what I'd be doing and if it wasn't as difficult as it is, if it wasn't something that I had to continuously show up for consistently, I I might be bored. I might have not been as consistent and disciplined with it as I have been. So it, yeah. it does on one hand while, you know, it's like, damn, finally they're here, you know, asking these questions and trying to get community involvement but on the other hand it's like you know what they are here and that's something that needs to be celebrated and that I need to just allow myself to be okay with because um, you know I, I would like for this to be the end of me being needed in this space and so that I can move on to the next thing and for me what the next thing yeah. looks like now is Working with these healthcare providers and figuring out what they need because I am talking to so many people who have had poor experiences with healthcare providers and now it's like, okay, healthcare providers, let's talk about these patients, let's talk about stigma, let's talk about the tools and resources you need in order to best serve these patients, what kind of communication do you need from the patients so that I can begin to uh, counter-communicate so that we can mm-hmm. all get on at least be in the same book if not on the same page
0: yeah I was telling a friend of mine I actually I've I had this desire now to write a book and I started thinking well you know how many pages can you really write about herpes and would it be a successful book type of thing but then you I, I told him I said you know the other thing is is that these doctors really need attention. They need to learn about this because they don't know. They just, I mean, they're still ordering IgM tests. You know, they're doing culture swabs when there's PCR uh, tests available. They don't know what what needs to be done. And so absolutely they need to be educated.
1: So after speaking with a doctor, um, I spoke with Dr. Lourdes. Um, I I just wrote Dr. Lourdes. I didn't have her first name listed here. Uh, Uh But this will be something that I'll post on the feed eventually. But one of the things that we were talking about is a lot of times when people have negative experiences with doctors in regards to STIs and stigma, it's because they're dealing with a doctor that doesn't deal with that on a regular basis. Like if you're looking at a family care physician, how often are they talking about sex, thinking about sex? So when you come at them with a sex thing, that's just not something. That's been in their practice, right? Uh-huh. Or if you go to a certain, like you wouldn't go see an oncologist for an SCI related thing. You might see a urologist and your urologist is going to be more uh, aware and equipped with the skills, education, language necessary to help guide you through whatever symptoms you may be presenting uh-huh. in that region. So it's uh, what I learned from this interview, this conversation is that context matters and the context of the experience of the healthcare provider is something that people just don't take into consideration when we're looking at getting tested and treated and the, uh, things like that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, um, people with HIV go see an infectious disease doctor. When somebody is diagnosed with herpes, why aren't they being referred to an infectious disease doctor? Mm. They aren't. They're just told, well, you have herpes. It's not that big of a deal. Have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but... You know, infectious disease doctors are out there, and they would be the ones that would be the most qualified.
1: hmm And another thing to take into consideration, too, is, you know, doctors are, and the infections disease specialists, they are great at talking about the infectious diseases, but not the person. you know the 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 things that lead to these things are just like well don't do it and you won't get it it's like this is a lot more complex than that like your experience is complex you've been celibate for 10 years and you go and get tested you're ready to get back out here in the dating world and now you're positive for stis like how do you even communicate that to potential partners how do they tell you um hey, you know, this This is a diagnosis. You might have had it for longer than you've not been sexually active. It doesn't mean that you got it from this particular person or whatever right. types of assurance that they could have offered you and information about your sex life, like to be able to ask, all right, well, okay, the last person that you were sexually active with, um, do you have sex with these kinds of people? Assessing your risk factors, being able to offer you what you need in order to be able to have as safe of a sex life as you can now moving forward. And that just might look like offering you condoms, uh, offering you a framework for disclosing your status. And these are the kinds of things that people would like to have that can put them at ease a little bit so they don't go home, Google herpes, and then see all of the emotional mass destruction that occurs after you consume that content.
0: Well, honestly, that's why I was saying to you, Courtney, that I would love to find a way to integrate this into a career for me where I could say to doctors, look, you get a patient with a diagnosis, have them come to me, I will talk to them about it, you know, I can tell them, you know, these are your resources, this is, you know, what you're going through is completely normal, and... You know, I, I would love, I don't know how to do that, but I would love to know how to do that. Well, I don't think my degree would lend to that. I would have to go
1: back to school. Well, you can register for my coaching class of how to be a herpes education advocate. I didn't know you
0: had
1: that. I don't. I just literally just made that up just
0: now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but honestly, that would be I something that would be cool to fund, you know, right. like, for me to gather with the other people who've been open in this space for a long, consistent period of time because there's so many different avenues. Uh, Safe Slut has her avenue. Uh, Suze Bubs on TikTok, Pickering Fitness on TikTok, they have their avenues. Uh, Uh Shanna Singleton has her avenue. Belize Spivey has her avenue. Alexandra Harbushka has hers. Uh, The the list goes on. And there are Uh people who have done this work and just, dropped out, like maybe because of burnout, because of compassion fatigue, because of not seeing any sort of progress, who I'm positive would want to come back into this space if the opportunity were there for funding to go towards these people being able to more, more effectively be able to do what it is that they do in terms of the education piece. And for me, I would really like to recruit uh, sex educators and people who uh, want to be in the sex ed space to organize practice runs and simulations for healthcare providers in the field or even in medical school to practice taking a sexual history, delivering a diagnosis, and also talking someone through uh, what their sex life could potentially look like afterwards. So uh, I've, I've got plans and goals it's just Uh these things take money (laughs) you know and part of um, me now being able to finally pay myself I think that I can allocate a lot more time to putting together programs and asking for funding specific to these types of things and having to make them a little more broad for other STIs as well just Uh for the sake of getting funding like I'm going to have to do that but I'm also going to have to sort of like staff an army still to be able to go out and advocate for these things in the right way because i think there's Uh a way to do it you know if um you have one like the way people see you online is how they might see you and think ah we can't work with this person this is they're too sexual they're too liberal they're too conservative whatever it may be there's always something there so i hope that my social media presence, my tenure in this space, the way that I present uh, the information that I do have is going to be something that paints me in the light of a healthy balance between professionalism and then uh, personal personality with the community. Like I. I I have to be connected to the community in order to do my job. I don't have to be professional in order to do my job. The professionality piece is for when the time comes, which hopefully is now, where somebody has money to throw at the herpes situation and try and learn more about it or create some type of a change. And I think that maybe I'm, I'm very pessimistic about it, but there is like a sliver of myself that is optimistic about uh, the potential of what this program uh, is gonna do by adding herpes to the addendum of the um, yeah. the, the budget that they have for STI, treatment. I don't know. I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even know what that was that the talks. I don't know what it, what to call it. I don't know. Like it was an open discussion and it's like, did y'all just call us here to make us excited and not actually do anything or what? Yeah. But I did learn about I a new organization. I
0: think they were just looking for, um, they were looking for topics that they need to address about herpes to put into this agenda of theirs but I'm not really sure that um, I didn't I didn't participate in the one the other day that you did so I don't know were they um, were there more ideas or more interaction on that one or was it the same
1: It was just like this except it ended sooner because people didn't have feedback. Um, That one was for healthcare providers. And I think that healthcare providers who have herpes often have more input Uh, than the healthcare providers who don't, you know? Um, Because, yeah, it's one thing to speak on behalf of a community, it's another to be a part of the community and speak on behalf of your experiences tied in with that community. And I think that that was really what was missing there. You know, like I shared, um, one of the things that I shared was about the um, healthcare field and how it might be useful for them to get practice taking these uh, sexual histories and delivering these diagnoses but again like it, j- it just looked like it fell on deaf ears like they weren't trying to hear that shit nobody else was talking about yeah. this, everybody else is like we need a cure because dot 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 and it's like ugh. I don't know that that is going to be in the immediate future what I can say Mm -hmm. is it's gonna be if we have mental health support for people who are navigating their diagnosis that is going to make us it's gonna make the medication irrelevant therefore the barrier to getting a cure is going to be significantly uh, smaller or less significant itself so if we can stop you know, feeding the machine that is the pharmaceutical company getting our Valtrex money, then when they see those prices, uh, they see them them profits going down, they either gotta raise the price of Valtrax, or they gotta do something different. And then do something different.
0: They gotta different, release that cure.
1: Yeah, it's like, y'all, y'all gonna have to go ahead, drop that cure, drop the vaccine and then the cure, whatever you need to do, uh, to just go ahead and hit the eject button. Because once people are over the stigma themselves, it's over for Valtrex, you know, like maybe Uh in a few cases, if we're talking about pregnancies that uh, the parents are about, the mom's about to be due um, and go through with pregnancy and maybe there are symptoms or an outbreak. Okay, I get that. Um, If people are having severe symptoms, which, I don't think enough of us are having severe symptoms. I think many of us are keeping the Valtrex company alive because of our fear of passing it on and maybe us deciding, oh well, I really would rather just not tell anybody, so I'm just gonna take this medication and not say anything and keep it to myself. But when we can talk more freely about herpes, like I I just hooked up with someone yesterday who I met, we talked about STI, she doesn't have herpes. She dated someone who has herpes for a year. She and I had sex and it was, perfectly fine and i think that there is so there are so many more instances like that where people are just cool about it they don't care and i'm not someone who takes the medication for it i'm very transparent and upfront about my status how i practice safer sex and what my self-care practices looks like and when i talk to people who are new like that that concept just doesn't register for me for them and so yeah. they also need to be exposed to uh, good sex education that incorporates these kinds of dialogues so that they can have this between themselves and their partners and also yeah. know what their options are instead of thinking oh my god if I don't take Valtrex and I'm gonna have outbreaks all the time and it's gonna be painful it's gonna be the worst that's not how this always works
0: yeah yeah I'll tell you, my, my heart is racing listening to you talk about that because with it still being so new for me, I am deathly afraid to get out there and date. I wanted to. That was my whole reason for getting the FTD testing was I wanted to put myself out there again, and now here I am. I'm, I'm so afraid to, and I've never had an outbreak you know, and obviously I know that I'm still contagious, but I jumped on that bandwagon and I decided to start taking uh, the Valley Cyclovir.
1: Um, Here's the thing about that. Your body has not given you an outbreak, right? Um, I know people who have started taking the medication and it comes with side effects. I'm sure you've read about the side effects already, Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to go through those. But uh, is it really like... I think that it's very easy for us to mistrust our immune system. You found out you had this and you haven't had sex in 10 years. So for 10 years, your body has learned how to control the symptoms of this virus. And you were someone who jumped on the medication right away. How often does this happen? How much money is the pharmaceutical company getting off of this exact situation?
0: For me, it was I wanted to put a potential partner at ease that, hey, I'm doing this to protect you because obviously I don't, I didn't need the protection because I don't have outbreaks. not on wood. I, I would, I would like to,
1: so I would like to challenge what you just said. You want okay. to protect your partners. Okay. So the, the whole protection thing, I don't like the word protection That's just me. And when we talk about protection, we're talking about protecting them from what? Getting herpes from you?
0: Um, Well, because supposedly from what I've read, the drugs decrease the amount of shedding.
1: Okay. So even if the amount of shedding is reduced, there is still the possibility of the shedding, right? So wanting to put a partner at ease, especially men, if you are someone who dates men, men are very logical creatures. So if you tell me that the percentage of me getting it goes from 40% to 30%, if you're on medication, that is that you might as well have not even told me that because that's still high. Even if you take it down from a 20% to 5%, right? There's still that the possibility is still there. I mm-hmm. want to know how am I not going to get herpes from you? That is what I would want to know. And if there's going to be a chance like I believe that we should do what's best for ourselves. If taking the medication is going to be a constant reminder and a trigger for you, then not taking the medicine is not then you need to do that for yourself because what's best for you is going to be what's best for the person that you invite into your body in that way, invite to sharing your body with. So if what's best for you is taking the medication because you get outbreaks, or if taking the medication is what's best for you because you feel more at ease When you go to disclose, let that be the intention. Don't let it be because I'm trying to do everything to minimize my risk of rejection. No, because when you tell someone, hey, I got herpes, they're going to tell you no thanks. They're going to say, tell me more. Like, how can we still be together? Or they're going to say, I have it too. Those are going to be your three responses. So if this is a fear thing and you're like, I'm taking a medication because I'm scared that someone's going to not want to have sex with me if I'm not taking it, don't do that. Don't be that proactive to where it's detrimental to your own decision making. Be proactive when you've already had the conversation. You know, maybe your partner will want to take a little bit of time to think it over for themselves and then get back to you and talk to you about, okay, well, here's what I feel comfortable with. Right. So this is, again, you're newly diagnosed and this is so far removed from how you've been taught to communicate about sex, from you how you've had to communicate about sex, that this is now information that is going to be useful to you. So I want to see you get back out there. I want to see you win. I want you to succeed. I want you to have the best sex of your life. You've been missing out for 10 years. I hope you get to play catch up. <laughs> hey, I
0: made a sex bucket list, Courtney. There you
1: go. And uh, there, there's places, there's websites, there's communities, there's all types of stuff. I can I can talk to you a little bit more about that um, when we get off of here. And I can point you in the direction of those, uh, those communities if that's something that you're interested in.
0: Well, I, I belong to a lot of them already. Ooh, all right,
1: you don't need me. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: no, <I> don't
1: <laughs> hey,
0: that's,
1: that's good to like hear. That. That's good I to
0: hear. I'm in four different herpes uh, groups online. Yeah. Um, I went and looked at um, uh, Positive Singles. I'll tell you, I have to tell you the funniest thing, Courtney. The day that I joined Positive Singles, I was worried that the market must be really bad out there because within two hours I had 30 likes and 10 messages, and I panicked, and I, I, I disabled my account.
1: So you just got overwhelmed?
0: I got overwhelmed, I what? did. What?
1: Right. Did you have your face on there? Yeah. All right. That that that's that's it cuz not a lot of people put their faces on there. From the time that I was on there, um the last time I was on there might have been like 5 4, 5 or 6 years ago. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, people then women especially because it's like if you're an attractive woman, you're going to get a lot of attention. You're going to get all the attention. And well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I got too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just I, I'd say, you know, be, you know, enjoy yourself. Let me tell you that, you know, you got, you got options. So go through your options and choose wisely and enjoy yourself. All right.
0: <laughs> all right. <laughs>
1: um, so we're approaching the one hour mark. Uh, okay. Is there anything that you'd like to add? I, I know i made the joke about the coaching thing, but um, if you do want to get into the education space like even doing this podcast episode is like a thing that a lot of people have felt was good for them and they were able to just go on and live their life and it was a Uh non-issue but typically with this there's a huge burst of energy that comes into us because we get motivated or inspired to use our experiences to help other people or get involved in this space and sometimes all we need is to just be able to say out loud what happened to us and that's good so if there's more of that that you would like to do um i'm happy to explore that with you as well if you would like to
0: I, uh, I joked with one of the girls from the herpes cure advocacy. I said uh, if I'm gonna go public with this I said I need to send some birth announcements to my family and let them know <laughs> because I don't want them finding me online being like what yeah
1: You've got herpes? <laughs> Yeah I think that more what would be more of a surprise is just your your story like the backstory of your relationship herpes would be insignificant to that cuz like we spent most of the time talking about that. It was like, "Wait, you were celibate with this this wait, person you was did What? Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, I, I think that that's that's probably more of a big deal than anything else is that we that talked about. But um yeah, if if that's it, then I can go ahead and close us out and you and I we can stay in touch. Um if you want people to get in contact with you, you can let me know uh how that would work. Um, okay. like you give me some contact information, I can put it in the show notes if that's what you want. Okay.
0: I'll All
1: let right. you know. Definitely. Perfect. Well, that concludes this episode of something positive for positive people. Please like rate review, share, subscribe to this podcast. If you have the means of doing so, please consider making a donation. This is now my full-time job, uh, as of March 28th to that way, 20, 24th. Whatever day that board meeting was When I got approved To start paying myself So now when y'all make donations And I'm gonna be asking for them A lot more than I used to Because Y'all heard this episode Like how much more I want to get done Hopefully we can get some funding And with funding I'll be able to pay myself But for now I'm staying afloat With the donations And I'm about to quit this Uh I ain't gonna quit But I'm moving back to St. Louis So that I can run this Full time as well Um Cost of living's lower I plan on settling the St. Louis, Missouri And then um yeah I, I, I gotta be an adult like I live in the attic right now and I've been doing this for the last year and a half it's been great because something positive for positive people has experienced a lot of success but Courtney personally really needs to go back home And so going back home is going to be what fuels me. And this is a decision I'm making for me. Every time I've moved in the past has been for somebody or something else. I moved to Texas for a girl in 2014, whatever that was. And then I moved uh, back home in 2017 uh, to St. Louis because I was going to start a business. And I had no idea what that was going to be. I moved out here to Portland to get a grant. And I got the grant, came here, did what I had to do. I learned my lessons. And... Yeah, I'm, I'm at a point where it's time for me to, you know, prioritize Courtney for once and the things that fuel me not to say that something positive for positive people doesn't fuel me, but it is an extension of me. So um, that's what I'm doing. And I thank you all for your ongoing support. Uh, continue to listen to the podcast, share it. Whenever you see conferences, sexual health related things come up, send that to me so that I can be at these things and put this information out there uh, where it can hopefully make a difference. All right, y'all, you know how to get in touch with me. I'm mostly active on Instagram at Courtney Brame underscore. I deleted all the other social media because it is, I, I can't, I can't do all of those. All right. I'll see y'all on the next episode.